0: Okay, it's okay. Okay, great. Let's cross our fingers. Okay. Everybody, it's your host Natalia um, to another episode of More Than a Pretty Face. Today, I'm here with the incredible, amazing um, Nira Tandon. Nira Tandon is the uh, president of the Center for American Progress. Uh, Nira, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. I'm the president of the Center for American Progress, as you just said. I've, I've been president for, I guess, nine years. I worked in mm-hmm. the Obama administration. Uh, I worked in the Clinton administration. I worked on Senator, then-Senator Obama's presidential race, Hillary Clinton's presidential race. Uh, so I've, I've been around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so what, kind of just to get a kind of holistic picture, what made you want to get involved in, like, politics and this crazy world?
1: Oh, that I have to go way back for. It. And if it's... Uh, It's kind of a hokey answer, but it is, it is like totally the right answer, the total truth, which is, um, when I grew up, uh, my parents were Indian immigrants and, uh, so I was born here, but my parents, you know, they'd come a few years before I was born. And, uh, actually when I was five, my parents got divorced and my father left. Uh, he, you know, to this day, I don't know where he went, but he just like, Left us, and mm-hmm. my mother um, had a real choice to make. This is 1975, just to age myself here. <laughs> and, Not at all. <laughs> uh, and, um, and she faced a really harrowing choice, which is she could have gone back to India um, or stayed here and go on welfare. I mean, my father. We have lived in a house, he sold the house and left, took the money, and my mom, you know, she had, I have an older brother and myself, and she really faced this decision, and the, the thing that made it so harrowing is, uh, you know, Indians don't really get divorced today in India, mm-hmm. but there were very <laughs> few divorced women in India in 1975, and she just, Believed uh, that if we'd gone back to India, you know, our the stigma attached to divorce would have affected our whole lives. And you know, it's it's fascinating. She had this belief that if she stayed here, you know, there was real hope for us to have mm-hmm. like a middle class life. Um, and honestly, there were so many breaks along the way. We were we had lived we had had this house in a middle class town, and we we're able to stay because. Massachusetts had just passed this law that if you uh, built low-income housing in suburban areas, sort of more middle-class areas, uh, if developers did that, they could get breaks on housing. So we were mm-hmm. miraculously able to stay in Bedford, Massachusetts, at, in Bedford Village, which is still there today. Mm-hmm. You know, total social engineering that was designed to ensure that poor kids or poor families could actually live in towns with Big, res- better resources, mm-hmm. not big resources, better resources. So I was able to go um, to good public schools in Bedford. And my mother, we were on welfare. So I remember I was like the only kid at school who was using the school vouchers, the free mm-hmm. reduced lunch vouchers. And I paid 10 cents when it was a dollar ten. And we went, we were still the only, you know, we were the only family using food stamps. And mm-hmm. back then in the 1970s, they actually gave you, Fake money, you know, <laughs> and for food stamps, I mean, now they give you a card, but it was literally yeah. like it looked closer to Monopoly money than regular money. But, um, and we were the only people using it there. But, you know, and after a couple of years, my mom got a job uh, at a, at a, um, Indian travel agent office, you mm-hmm. know, back when we had travel agents. <laughs> back in the
0: day, yes. You want to book <laughs> then, a. My parents still uh, use that kind of thing. Like, they're dead uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing, right? Like, uh, you know, in the world of uh, kayak, it, <laughs> it still exists. But, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, actually, honestly, after a few years, she was able to get a job at Raytheon as a, con- you know, first in travel agent, then was able to do work in, for, on contracts and, and, Six years, seven years after we were on welfare, she was able to buy a house in Massachusetts. And I tell this story in Bedford, the town I grew up in, -hmm. you know, and so honestly, I mean, it sounds really hokey, but I honestly just think it's like my job to pay it forward. And Mm -hmm. I lived Mm -hmm. in a country at a time where, look, we designed policies to actually help people with no opportunity, no chance, nothing, and live what we said was an American dream. And I only—I am only where I am today because I was able to li- live in the social safety net and go to good public schools. And, you know, eventually I went to UCLA. And after that, I got, I was, I got into law school. But I really, I feel like you know, it's it's my job to pay it back. And I honestly, I, my mom, my earliest political memory, and I'm going on and on, but I'll... I'll no, I love it. This
0: is what we're here questions. for. This is what we're here <laughs> but, for. I'm here for it.
1: But my earliest political memory was my mother jumping up and down when Jimmy Carter won in 1976. <gasps> like, late at night. <laughs> Our TV was on the top of this, like, high bureau. Mm-hmm. I remember her, like, jumping up and down and I me asking her what, like, why was she so excited? And she... She thought, like, our lives will be better because, Mm -hmm. you know, we were on welfare at that time. Our lives will be better because, like, she saw politics as really Mm -hmm. mattering. And it really did. Like, I think that I had the experiences I did because of the Great Society. I mean, Mm -hmm. all these things that were passed to, you know, to deal with with the war on poverty. And they've, they've been undermined and chipped away. But, like, it's, you know, that... People are helped by good public policy, and I am an example of that, and that is why I do what I do.
0: And so I guess kind of what made you think, because obviously you're into more progressive politics, what made you think or how did you come to the conclusion that that was the way? Because I feel like you can hear from other people, say, like like a Ben Carson, who would say they grew up in a similar situation but now are more conservative. So what was your kind of switch to... Not switch, but how did you kind of get the foray yeah. into progressiveness?
1: So that's, that's a great question. I it's it's interesting. I don't know if it was my mother or um or just what I knew, but it probably was my mother. I mean, I I always knew that we were being helped by the government. Mm. I saw these things as help. From the government. I mean, I remember going with my mom to the welfare office, mm-hmm. and uh, because you know she didn't have childcare, and so she took me along with her. And uh, you know the, the the wait was long, and it's you know it's not like welfare offices are designed for customer service, mm-hmm. right? You know, like they they're understaffed, under resourced, and. And I remember saying, I keep, I kept asking my mother like how long it was going to be, and she said one more minute, and I said uh, that you said that an hour ago, <laughs> and she, she said, uh, you know, we're just, I'm just trying to get by. I remember like just being kind of hit with that, and but I really identified, and I think my mom was like very, I mean, my mom is a strong Democrat, but she very much thought that these programs were here to help us and mm. that we should, I just, it was like something just part of what we talked about. They were, we were getting help from the government and she wasn't, you know, she wasn't cowed by that or embarrassed. Like, you know, that's, that's what the government's there to do. And we, I never thought, I, it's so funny you asked this question because I went on C-SPAN. Mm-hmm. It's like seven years ago or something, and I. They asked me why I do what I do, and I mm-hmm. sort of told the same story. And I got all these emails from conservatives mm-hmm. who who were who basically like, well, that's not really a story about the government. That's really a story about your mother. And I and I totally think you know my mother's mm-hmm. incredibly strong-willed and strong, and she was courageous to make the decisions she made. I mean, mm-hmm. it took courage to make that decision, but she didn't like. Manufacture the food stamps out of like <laughs> her pocketbook, and she didn't like come up with a Section Eight voucher mm-hmm. like out of the oven. You know, I mean that was a decision. Those were decisions by politicians and what we call bureaucrats mm-hmm. to design policies to make people's lives better. And so that's honestly that's why I mean I think conservatives. Who look at my story? Just they're they're like willfully blind. They don't want to see that it took collective action by people to make sure that someone like me has real opportunity. And I say this to people in Washington all the time. Washington, you know, you, you may not look at what it's doing, you may not pay attention, but it is. People in Washington are making decisions every day, whether you look or not.
2: Mm-hmm. to expand
1: opportunity or to contract it. Every budget, every decision to spend money is a decision to expand it for some people or many people or contract it. And, you know, that's why I do, I, I honestly, I feel like it's a privilege mm-hmm. to be able to work at CAP and on public policy and to, to argue for why it actually is in our country's interest to ensure every single person
2: mm-hmm.
1: has like not just like lip service about opportunity and talk about it but like actual help to get there
0: did you ever like have a time when i guess maybe you you met someone who i i bring this up because i'm thinking about the i don't know if you if you, have you ever watched blackish
1: no i haven't <laughs> my kids tell me
0: I'm a loser for not watching it. So good. So good. But there's an episode when um when Junior meets this girl. He's the son and he says he just and she's a she's a, another black girl and but her parents are Republican. And the whole thing about it is like black people just don't do that. But he decides <laughs> that <laughs> he decides that he's going to become a Republican because she is and you know. Uh-huh. And he's like, well, a lot of the things that they're saying, like, kind of makes sense. So, like, have you and that's kind of what I'm like thinking in my head. And this question is like, did you ever not necessarily meet someone in terms of a love interest? But like, did you ever meet someone that maybe made you change your minds like a little bit? Being like, oh, maybe what I what I want to accomplish can be done through a conservative lens.
1: Yeah. So I am. Um didn't meet someone I I when I was like when I was 11 Reagan just became president and Mm -hmm. I remember watching the state of the union and being like wow go America and there was this I mean I was 11 you know I wasn't I wasn't like 20 or something but I had this whole you know he definitely had this city on a hill and America is great and you know it was it, and he, you know, he definitely Created this atmosphere Of being patriotic Was being conservative mm-hmm. And so I, I Did go through this period where I was like Very pro Reagan <laughs> And it was funny because my mother uh, My mother <laughs> Sat me down I mean not sat me down, but like re- like Argued with me and she said You know, he's for school prayer And how's that going to work out for you? You we were like He's communicating to everyone. You're Hindu in Bedford, you know, and school. You had to. What are you going to do if everyone's praying to Christ in your school? And you know, I was like, "Oh, that's bad." And then she was like, "And you know, he's pro-life." And 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 you know, I mean, she wasn't. She was respectful, but she was also you know kind of pushing me. And
0: I I love that she had this conversation at eleven, though.
1: (laughs) She's like, Mira. No, she probably had. I mean, to be honest, she probably let it go a few months and then was like, I got to put a stop to (laughs) it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, um, No, but I remember her having that kind of a conversation with me. And and then I thought, okay, yeah, this is it kind of, the whole Reagan thing wore off. But I never, I definitely had conversations with people in which. I I changed my mind about something, and I really try to understand where you're coming from. But it hasn't been like the conservative outlook over the last, you know, little bit here has made me, you know, more open to Mm -hmm. conservative ideas. And for me, just personally, again, it's, you know, everyone's different. But my my experience was, um, I mean, I grew up in the mid-'70s, and then on like really surviving on programs like food stamps and welfare Mm -hmm. and section eight housing and i knew what those things were you know and my mom communicated that to us and you know welfare etc and then you know from the 80s on people you know conservatives were just attacking those programs i Mm -hmm. mean that didn't happen really in the early 70s it didn't really attack but like from the 80s on people were just like People on them were lazy, and and so it, it really did make me kind of go in the other direction. Because
0: you saw how much you had like benefited from these programs, and
1: I thought it's you know it's just not true that they don't help anybody. Mm-hmm. It's just not true. I mean, I remember I I was uh, I worked for Hillary, and we used to in the late nineties, and I was you know in my late twenties at the time, and she had this meeting. We did. We, I worked on her policy staff. And we had, we'd have these policy meetings, and they ended up being in her living room, which was really cool because you're we like in the, you know, <laughs> you're in the mansion of the West Wing, and you know, I'm 27 years old. You're and like, okay, and cool, I, cool. I don't know anybody. I've never been in politics, and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Anyway, <laughs> she'd have these. Uh, she we'd have these like really interesting discussions. So we're, I remember we were talking about something. I think you know she did a lot of work around. Um, foster kids and um, essentially foster supports for foster kids just end when they're 18 and a lot of foster kids become homeless mm-hmm. or don't have resources because they basically lose all support after that and she was trying to think through some supports and we ended up somehow talking about food stamps and somehow I don't really remember saying it I started talking about how I'd been on food stamps and then she was like well how did that happen and then she, you know, she probed and asked me my life story which she hadn't known until then and you know we were in a like we had in the 90s republicans were just like attacking every program for poor people as government waste. remember Mm -hmm. like people saying that they wanted to just you know newt gingrich was like i want government to wither on the vine and (laughs) hillary was like you know we should just take your story and have you go around the country and just tell your story (laughs) because nobody knows it like People really helped. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I was like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. But, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I mean, that's cute and all, but not for me. <laughs> I mean, it's cute. I'm glad it's It's like someone gets it, but I don't really need to do that. I mean, it, she mm-hmm. wasn't like serious, but it was like, I mean, we so politicized poverty. We mm-hmm. made it so much like this personal failing. And and it just, I find it never ending frustrating. I mean, my mother didn't do anything wrong. My, you know, she was just product of a person, like of a marriage, you know, and made, and just and this woman who made all kinds of sacrifices and she was the safety net, which was robust at the time was able to help her. And, you know, over time we've cut that safety net back. So it helps fewer people not more people. And that just seems to me a huge mistake.
0: And it's so interesting that you say that like she she was supported by the safety net because I think there's also like, correct me if I'm wrong, at least as someone who, you know, that's how we met media. Like there's this idea yeah. out there that um, that people aren't working at all, like to work hard to get towards where they need to be while mm-hmm. still benefiting from a system and it seems in your mom's case that's completely the opposite. She worked really hard while at the same time getting benefits. And that just helped her get an extra leg up.
1: Yeah. I think this is I mean, there's totally insane things we do, right? As a country, we make people like lose not work to get uh you know, not work at all in order to get some benefits. Mm-hmm. And that just you know, other countries don't do that. And and we didn't do that as much. I mean, my mom was working and we were still on food stamps for a long time because mm-hmm. she wasn't making enough money. And we got Section 8 housing after she we were still in Section 8 housing for a while after she got a job because she didn't have enough money to pay. And so I think I think the, the thing is that so much of our policies around poverty are focused on protect quote unquote protecting us from the undeserving poor,
2: and if you uh-huh. weren't
1: willing to like we have this conception that people so badly want to be on government programs and not work, and which makes our programs less effective. And mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. if we just turn that out, you know, over time we've turned that conception around on healthcare. We now think, or lots of people think, healthcare is a right, and you should get healthcare even if you aren't working, uh-huh. <laughs> and. and I think it takes time to move the discourse, but but I, I I know what it's like to you know have be able to really rely on a rich safety net that was actually I mean the truth of that safety net is it was really about letting people giving people you know mm-hmm. the real opportunity. I recently went back and read some of Johnson's speeches for something else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he talks about, you know, poverty as is like, you know, a kind of um, scourge that the whole country should try to fight. And poverty was much, much worse in the before the war on poverty, mm-hmm. before the Great Society. But, you know, the kind of national spirit to solve the problem of poverty is, you know, something that I... Hope we
0: can rekindle at some point at some point do you did you ever feel a need to kind of like hide fully who you were as as an Indian American woman as as a Hindu like I feel like that's not something we see at the forefront because to be honest I didn't know when I first met you like didn't know what nationality you were I was like oh she's brown you know like but that was <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where and I was like I'm not gonna ask because why um but did you ever feel the need to kind of hide a little bit of of who you were to kind of navigate in this space because it is very white and very male dominated I think in spaces of politics and policy
1: well I mean I grew up in Bedford which was a very middle-class town but I, I I'll be very honest it was also i mean it was very white town mm-hmm. and there were i've been to bedford think, yes <laughs> yeah i think it's a, i mean i think there were a handful of people who weren't white anywhere in the town mm-hmm. um we and it had a program for many years of, of uh, a busing desegregation program which brought um kids in from uh boston but to be, you know, to be honest, like those kids, it, they were such a, you know, there were a small handful of kids. They were very separated out, you know, like I think they themselves separated, you know, I think they were sort of felt very separate. And I have, I, I was in this kind of world between, I didn't, I remember being very you know, lonely as a child because I didn't mm-hmm. play with other kids and I didn't have friends like other kids did i was i remember feeling very different from other kids and mm-hmm. i i had some friends but i just really didn't and i i honestly didn't really feel um so connected i think it's one of the reasons why i went from bedford which is a small town of like 14,000 people or 18,000 people like 98% white TCLA, which is in Los Angeles and very diverse, Mm -hmm. and um, and that you know, it definitely felt different. In my career, when I started out, you know, it was. I remember I worked in one of my first jobs was in the White House. In the my first one of my first jobs in the White House, Mm -hmm. one of my first jobs ever. But one of my (laughs) first jobs in the White House was um, was a. uh, I was in this research office, which was. I was the only woman and the only person of color. And it was like eight guys, six, seven, eight guys. And they would go like drinking together and they knew each other. And, and, you know, I just really like was, I mean, my boss was like a nice guy and he gave me this break to get it. But like so much work got transacted, you know, outside the mm-hmm. office. And I had to, you know, really, I felt like I had to be better at my job. And I, you know, there were so many ways that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't brought into meetings. Mm -hmm. And I had that that duality. So many women have, so many people of color, so many women, so many women of color. Mm -hmm. Which is, I didn't feel like I was in treated equally to my male colleagues, but I also felt punished for any time I complained. Mm, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, that was just the reality, which is I just had to maneuver essentially out of that job, and I gotta say, like, this job opened up, so I worked in this office, and you know, I shouldn't, I say this, and someone's gonna hear it and feel terrible, but I mean, they, <laughs> they weren't, like, deliberately yeah, mm-hmm. treating me badly, and I don't think they deliberately, I mean, I I think they just, there were a lot of unbiased assumptions and, or, but, you know, sort of unconscious biases Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I mean, that just kept me out of meetings. I, I should have gone to, or didn't give me the same assignments that others did. And, you know, I, it was really dispiriting. I remember I went to talk to my boss about it and tried to be like really nice and his you know, his response was just to kind of think I was uppity. Mm, <laughs> so,
2: mm, mm. Um,
1: now, I have to say, like, I was really lucky because this job opened up on the Domestic Policy Council in the White House. And it, it had a dual report. It reported to Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. in her office. And it worked on children and families for uh, Bruce Reed, who ran the Domestic Policy Council. Mm-hmm. So for the president, I sort of I worked on children's issues, after school, and then for Hillary, I kind of, I ended up doing like half of her domestic policy, because the whole team of two or three people Mm -hmm. served as her policy staff, and I, you know, honestly, working for Hillary was amazing, it was just totally different, right, I mean, she tried to empower me, she, you know, her staff was very, this is in the mid, late 1990s, her staff Mm -hmm. was very diverse, one of her strongest, her first chief of staff had been an African-American woman, Maggie Williams. Her second chief of staff was white, but her like basic deputy was um, Asian, like really her scheduler, who was super powerful, like did all of her politics, was Latino. I mean, she just really empowered staff. It was a very flat office. If she, I knew the most about something, she came to me about it. She mm-hmm. really tried to, I mean, encourage me, strengthen me, give me more responsibilities. And you it was like night and day you know, night and day experience. And I can, and I learned, I mean, I learned a ton, but I also just, you know, when you are just so, such a hard thing, when you're treated respectfully, you just do a better job. I, mm-hmm. did, better, I did a better job and, you know, and it you was, wanted it was, to go to work, it, work in, in the morning. <laughs> hmm? You wanted to Sorry? go to work in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to go to work. <laughs> I was inspired to go to work. I worked weekends. I mean, I worked all the time, but I like, like, I mean, I was doing also great work, but it was really like, I felt really good about the work. Cause I, I felt like I had a boss who, you know, wanted me to succeed.
0: So I just want to pedal back a little bit and kind of talk about when you were saying that you felt like if you talked about it, people would get mad at you for complaining. And yeah. I want to talk a little bit. Just tell me how that how that felt as like a woman, as a woman of color to just feel like you were complaining because you were asking for higher standards in your workplace that were really you were just I, in my opinion. It's like you're asking for the bare minimum.
1: Yeah, and you were seen minimum, as complaining to ask
0: for the bare minimum.
1: Right. So the thing is, so I had um, so I was in this this office. Um, Again, you know, it was all white. And eventually, eventually another woman joined. Um, And that was basically right before I left. But I had these meetings. I remember thinking, like, my compatriots would be pulled into, like, my colleagues who had the same title I had would be pulled into meetings with senior staff, right? And on substantive issues, we were really tackling things. And I felt like I ended up doing a fair amount of um, just much less interesting work. I Mm -hmm. wasn't pulled into those meetings. I wasn't brought into that kind of discussion. I wasn't in any kind of strategic discussion. I ended up doing just a lot of research. And, And so... I you know went to talk to my boss and the hard, hard thing is if, how do you discuss that you, you're you talking about like oh, this person got opportunities <laughs> that I'm not getting and I just want to you know be treated fairly but like when you say that you know when you're when you say I have this you know I have this experience and this other person and that, that you know that people just get very defensive mm-hmm. and and in a I never ever said, I think it's because I'm a woman or I think it's because I'm a woman of color. I just said, like I feel like I had this very different experience and my boss got very defensive. And I really felt like I was getting kind of a reputation for being a complainer. And when you look, like, the truth is the hard thing of these things is your reputation is guided by other people. Mm-hmm. And when your boss and his colleagues tend to think of you in a certain way, you you know that that is the creator of your reputation, and in politics, that's you know having a reputation like that is mm-hmm. a problem. I mean, to this day, I mean, I I am a very frank and and I'm a very frank person,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I I try to call. I mean, I try to not BS people, and I still feel like when I do that with colleagues or junior staff um or anybody you know if i'm just trying to i just think people hear that from a woman very differently from a man Mm -hmm. and you just always have to you know like i i i never raise my voice i i do ask tough questions but i don't you know but i think even there i'm consciously i'm very aware that a woman of color is you know is treated differently than men. I've been in roles in the same roles that men have had where the a man in my job is like a yeller. Mm-hmm. Like yells at staff and, and you know, people think I'm tougher when I've never yelled at a staff person like mm-hmm. I've never done you know, we'll never do that and, and, you know, I'm tough but I'm not and I so I just think it's real it's different. It's like I do think today in America still leadership is when you know even unconsciously you know leaders people tend to think of leaders as like older white men who are tall mm-hmm. and, and I am younger mm-hmm. I mean I'm getting up there but I've been no. younger <laughs> most of my life and I'm Indian and I'm a woman and I'm a little loud and I'm definitely short. So I <laughs> like none of those things. And I think it's you know, it's an adjustment. But you know, optimistically it's a lot better today than it was ten years ago or twenty years ago. I don't I don't feel like I have to hide as much as who I of who I am. I don't mm-hmm. feel like I have to kind of have a poor shyness or and be embarrassed about having questions or, you know, Like when I was in my 20s, I would be I would apologize for Mm -hmm. being like assertive or smart on something or, you know, I'd caveat my questions. I was just thinking and I do that a lot less now
0: because I this is going to sound really silly. But one of my like first memories of you of meeting you was you came in to do a hit. And um, I, we always ask our guests. You know, would you like anything to drink? And you were like very specific. You're like, hi, yes. Can I have a tea with like lemon? Like I, I was, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <that's amazing. laughs> and maybe I've learned a And and um, and I feel like I feel like I I can think of people in my head who like if you had just kind of come at them with that would have been like, oh, well, she's a little. You know, and I
1: was like, yeah, I can be tough.
0: And I was like, no, but or she's just wants her tea. Like, I don't. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so yeah, like, but I think that's the thing, right? It's like you, I think women always have to deal with this, which is like, are you being like too, I mean, just to say, you being like too much of a bitch. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, and look, there are, I mean, we all know that there are women who are not very nice to people too. Yeah. So you don't want to, you don't in your business. Definitely seen it. Yeah, I've seen some people. So, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, you know, it's like it's not a license to be mean mm-hmm. or something, but you know, I do think I have been struck. Like, I I've had conversations. I, I've had great. I've had great opportunities, and so I'm not. I don't. I'm not belying it at all. But I have. I have, as I said, been in jobs where I've done. I've taken over in positions where the person before me was pretty, you know, intense. And you know, and I just, um, and and you know, in in when I, in the '90s in the White House, it would not be uncommon for a man to. Many men did this. He worked in the Clinton White House? Mm-hmm. Many, many men. He would like scream at the top of their lungs and take their fist and slam it down on a on a um, on a desk and. You know, just yeah, and like some women did that too, but like not so like nothing mm-hmm. that remotely. I mean, people, women were assertive, but like not like that. And and you know, if if a woman did, you know, if a woman did something like that, it would have been shot. Like sh- like you would still hear the story of it like twenty years later in mm-hmm. their
2: political.
1: And I, think, so it's you know, it is very different. It is very different because like that was that interaction I had with you
0: made me like you. Like, okay. <laughs> which, because, like, I... Because usually I feel like with a lot of people, they'll come back to me 10 minutes later being like, so actually, can I actually have this? And that bothers me, because now I'm in the middle of something else because you told me you didn't want me thing. And this idea to yeah. play nice and, so, I and mean, like... this is the thing. Like,
1: I I really think this. Like, I think we, we waste a lot of time in navigating... Things emotionally that really shouldn't be emotional, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and this happens a lot in Washington. It's like people are so passive aggressive about things. <laughs> you know, to me, it's just like, it would be great if if women and people felt the need to, felt they could just say what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And and like not rudely, not pushily, not be rude. I mean, there are people who are mean to st- other people and that's unacceptable, but just like state what you want and be treated like the same as if a man just says the same asks the same thing like you know it's reasonable
0: yeah because I feel like you have this um you have such a strong like assertiveness about you that I really enjoy because you are because you are shorter but it's like you I feel like whenever you walked in a room you like commanded an attention and I and that's
1: like- <laughs> great it's You do.
0: I think you do. I mean, I noticed it because I think, like, to be in this space, just I mean, every I pay attention to who we have on air, obviously, you know, and I think to my because I like to look at the type of people we have on air, who are we booking, and how they perform. Because to me, I love just I love the women of color that we have on the Mm -hmm. show. That's
1: great. Because
0: they're, you know, they are assertive and they know their stuff. And I think that's what I really love. And you're not willing to be pushed on like if you're on air having a conversation you're not willing to be pushed over if someone else is saying something you're like no no no, but i like making this point and like here are the facts to back it up yeah
1: so this is a really interesting thing and i i think you know you're you're putting your finger on something that i i really struggle with i mean struggle think through how to handle so often on shows or anywhere, but this really gets to what you're talking about. So so much of what happens is like someone's just rolling along, right? Mm-hmm. It, you know, and there is a feeling on the show, which is a, a questioner. But sometimes it's just another guest starts like putting the conversation in a certain direction, and I'll think it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, I mean, I'll think that's just crazy talk. But and so you can't say this is crazy talk. But I think like should I push back on the assumption? And I really try to do it in a way where I'm kind of smiling or not being like intensely you know, I'm not like yelling at people. Mm-hmm. But I do have these exchanges on shows like I mean, I've had really tough exchanges with some Trump supporters and you know, during Kavanaugh I had this mm-hmm. exchange with this guy who got like super riled up. And I was on I was on a show where it happened it happened during the um, that it was la- it was in 2018 before the election, mm-hmm. and uh, it was when the pipe bombs got sent to all these people, and one of them oh, was Hillary, and mm-hmm. it was Eric Holder and Bill Clinton. And you know, I felt a lot like I, you know, I know these people, and I really felt like mortified about Hillary, who I feel like his gone were so much in her life. And <laughs> this guy was on the show, and he was like def- just the pablum, you know, like just mm-hmm. the total pablum, which is like. Well, this happens everywhere, and it's all sides. And mm-hmm. you know, this is just—and sorry, can I swear on this? Yeah, okay. you can do what you, you know, want. This is just bullshit. Like, <laughs> it's just bullshit. There's no like, there's no there's no equivalence between Trump, the people Trump has targeted, as mm-hmm. like traitors to America, and then some rabid Trump supporters in the pipe bomb. That's not happening. We're like. You know, Nancy Pelosi and what she says about Trump. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And so I I was, like, pretty hot with this guy. I was like, you know, I'm just not accepting mm-hmm. that, that if there's any kind of – like, he was trying to equate it with, like, Bernie Sanders or something. I was mm-hmm. like, you know, this is not equal. I'm sorry. It's not equal to anything. And I pushed back pretty hard. And that guy, <laughs> like, in the break – Like he just ripped off his microphone and like, I mean, he just, he was so angry and I don't think I was like that because I just don't think he, he just did not accept that I challenged him. And, and, and then I was like, Oh my God, was I too mean? And it was so great. One of the, the, one of the women who ran the camera. She's, she's awesome, and I love her. But she came up to me afterwards, and just I've, I've like now I feel like I like she's part of my family. But anyway, <laughs> she came up to me, and she was like, "Thank you, thank you for just telling that guy he's full of it." And then I felt really good. <laughs> I like I did. It's even me I had this moment, which is like. Because of this man's anger and me challenging mm-hmm. him. I was like, oh, my God, was I too mean or whatever? And I, I remember I got up, and this other woman who was in the green room was like, wow, you were really tough. And I was like, you know, you just never know. You just never know. It's hard to know. It's Women's anger is not true that, like, male anger. And I wasn't, like, screaming, but I was definitely, like, I was angry. I mean, I was angry because people I knew were sent pipe bombs, and this guy was bullshitting. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm just not... No, no, their movement went viral, so I think the show was happy. (laughs) 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 I definitely had this moment where I was like, I don't know, you never know. Women's anger is so it's not, you know, it's not treated the same as male anger. It's much yeah. it's much less legitimate. It's much scarier to people.
0: Which, and I wonder why that is because we are so often viewed as like quote unquote weaker. But like when we get angry, it's like, oh my gosh, she's angry. She's uncontrollable. What would happen? Yeah, there's this whole like yeah.
1: women are enraged. Yes, women's anger. You know, you said the right word, uncontrollable. It's like male anger is somehow controlled, but women, women's anger is just like hysterical. They go to like, women are getting hysterical and they can't control their emotions, you know? So, you know, I do think women, and I don't think it's just women. I think women, this is for true for women. I think it's really true for people of color. And mm-hmm. I think it's true for women of color. I think it's like, you know, they're just tight ropes that you have to navigate, mm-hmm. that you never have to navigate. And I, I was thinking about this recently. Um, you know, it's also the hard thing the hardest thing in these issues, and I, I try to explain this to um, my white friends who, you know, I mean, really well-meaning. But it's like one of the big problems is when you get a disparate treatment, like when you're treated differently, you just often don't know why. Is mm-hmm. it? Because, I mean, one of my experiences was I was on, um, I'll say it was, I was on, I was on a, the Obama campaign and I just started. Mm-hmm. I w- had worked for Hillary and I went over to the Obama campaign. And I was in in this meeting with this colleague and we were both equal in this meeting. And this, this, this pollster came in from California and he totally treated in this meeting. He, he treated me like I was a junior staff and the white guy, the white male guy, like almost like I was like a research assistant and the white guy who was my colleague as like the boss of the meeting, so much that my colleague had sort of turned in the middle of the meeting mm-hmm. and sort of try to, you know, ask my feedback and mm-hmm. am- you know, amp it up. And the guy still ignored it; like he was so oblivious. And it was like over sixty and some old white guy, but still <sighs>
0: trifling. And then I
1: just kept thinking, like, I don't know. Like I was angry, and I was I was definitely irritated in mm-hmm. this meeting. And I was explaining it to this uh, this white male friend of mine. He was a really good friend of mine at the time. And he was like, well, you don't know it was racism. I mean, it could have been something else. And it's true. I didn't know it was racism. But even the other
0: like, thing it could have been would still have been bad.
1: Yeah, that's what I, was I was like, <laughs> what's a good reason for him to not, like, what would be the reason? I mean, he doesn't know anything about me other than him seeing me. I hadn't said anything. So it's not like I said something really stupid. Right? So I was, like, arguing this with my white male friend. He's was like, you know, nice guy, but obviously oblivious and so then I was yes. like I think it's I think
0: it's hard for us as especially as people of color to explain like I mean I've been in a space for the past you know a couple months explaining having to explain and tell people why x y and z is problematic and why these yeah. person you know what I mean not not just at work but like interpersonally with with white friends and um and they're just like but what if and I was like the fact that you can but what if but I can't do that. Like there's always this need to. Yeah, that's
1: so good. I need to use that. And I
0: can't, I can't, but what if, you know, because either it's because I'm a woman or it's because I'm black. And it's like you, I feel like we constantly, you know, have to toe a line of like not being seen as the angry black woman. And because I think like I'm more assertive and my, my, my thing has always been that I, I I won't stand up for myself, but I will stand up for others in the sense of like, yes, this mm-hmm. is imp- this thing is impacting me, but I know like for future people coming behind me, it's gonna be ten times worse. like if we don't solve it. yeah, now. And because, like I'm a black woman, like I'm automatically seen as problematic. And that's yeah, been no, something that's really hard to navigate. Like,
1: women, black women, women, women of color. I mean, I think it's just harder to express anger, ask for different treatment, because people, you know, I do think there is this just assumption that, I mean, it goes back to like being uppity, like Mm. you're not, it's not legitimate, right? And I do think on race, there's an issue because people get very defensive about race, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I remember in my 20s, I was, I was trying to think about how do I put this in the in a way to make the person the least defensive mm-hmm. and still ask for equity? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like you get yourself into mirror re- re- tangles of like the third person, <laughs> which is like, you know, if this happened, how would it be for you know, someone? Not me,
0: I'm but someone. <laughs> it's
1: not, yeah, it's not me, but i was just wondering. And, um, and then the, uh, the other the other issue, though, is also like you know, when someone is in good faith, you do want them to learn of how to move, right? And Mm -hmm. that's happened for me. Like I I have been educated and about my friend like friends of color about how anything things I've done have, you know, could have like when I in my twenties, could have sent the wrong thing. And I appreciate that. Like I have thought about it. And I also you just have to get to a place where you appreciate like that's someone helping you. When someone's mm-hmm. telling you how you are treating them differently or how they could take something you're saying, our immediate thing is to get defensive because we're saying, oh, they're accusing you of being racist. Mm-hmm. But what it really is is they're trying to make you – like the way to take that is they're trying to make you better and like deal with better people better in a better way. And it, it takes a long time. But you just don't get defensive. And I mean like we all learn from – You know, from under having a better understanding of how people are Mm going to experience what you say. You know, so if you're talking about a certain policy and you make it sound like it only affects certain people, you know, that's that's you have to understand that's what you're doing.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, in your role, like Washington is a small city. It isn't,
1: It's, it's you, really small.
0: Because, <laughs> like, you, small. you know everybody. I'm thinking of, like, being working in NBC and, like, the fact that we have, like, the same set of guests. And I, like, know all of them by name. You know what I mean? But they also <laughs> all know each other. It gets, it. you know, before we were all, like, working from home and COVID, it was just, like, they would know if I was new. They'd be like, are you new? I haven't seen you. Yeah. Or be like, I haven't seen you in a while, Natalia. How are you? I was like, see that's a problem. But, yeah. <laughs> but for you <laughs> but for you, I mean, it must be incredibly difficult because while you work in progressive politics, you know you have to also work with the conservative politics and this yeah. is such a small town and I think especially because you're so public facing because you know you're, you do hits on television how do you then translate that to get people to want to work with you and I guess in terms of like yes. if, if you say something on TV and they don't like it or you have an argument with them on TV you know what I mean how does yeah how do you kind of combat that
1: you know it's been interesting I really think there are people not that guy I talked to but <laughs> not the guy with, but you know there are so many people I kind of have the opposite thing which is there are these Republicans I mean you you know this better than me but there are Republicans who get on TV who are like in the break, or like, oh my god, I can't believe I have to talk to that person. You know, mm-hmm. I have to make these defenses. Like they almost are like, you know, they're they're just like shaking their head, but yet they go on TV and kind of, um, def, you know, defend things that they mm-hmm. don't super defend. And you know, I actually found that it's I try to find, you know, for me in the breaks, I try to put the policy differential down and try to make human connections although I mean honestly I will say like if someone's defending Trump's racism I can't I just am like I can't do that like I just you know when he did when he says like send them back or anything on the racist stuff I can't, I just can't do that and then I do think like you know I mean this is just product of the world we're in with Twitter mm-hmm. you know, there are people like who I'm sure do like me a little less hard to imagine but it's possible people like me a little less because of the kind of points i make but i've also found i mean the thing that's been really rewarding is in this this time where trump is sort of so ubiquitous people are looking for kind of solidarity anywhere and Mm -hmm. i mean in the trump era way more than during the obama years I'll be stopped on the street and just people will be thankful that I'm willing to sort of speak truth to power, you know, mm. just be honest about what's happening because people feel like it's so crazy. So I probably, it's probably been a little bit less easy to be bipartisan, but I try mm-hmm. to be like a good person. And, you know, I try, the thing I try to be is like honest, upfront, good dealer. If someone wants to work with me on something and I can do it, I'll be honest. And if I can't do it, I can't. So I hope. You know, I get a good reputation or I get a decent reputation that way. And there's people you can work with and people you can't.
0: Now, did you? I
1: learned you can't make everyone happy. That is like a thing. You can't, (laughs) it's not an excuse to make everyone unhappy. Okay. But it's, you can't like, at least for me. And if you want to get things done, you really can't make everyone happy.
2: Mm.
0: Now, did you feel like, There has—I mean, a lot of people have talked about it. We've talked about it on TV and writing and, like, this is such a different time than, you know, Obama or or Bush or Clinton. You know, the Trump era is so different. Do you really feel—as someone who's been in politics, you've worked in the White House, you know, been on campaigns. Do you really feel like this is a different time politically? Or do you feel that you're like, this is just the same old thing? We're just, you know, on TV more?
1: It's a thousand percent different. I Mm -hmm. mean— and I'll, I'll, I'll say, i thought of it. This is a great question, and I've, I've thought about it a lot. I mean, the level of intensity is much higher because the news is much higher. But really, mm-hmm. it's also, the most fundamentally, it's it's just meaner. Things are just mm. meaner, I think. Mm. It's not just Twitter or social media. It's Because Trump is willing to just be mean, Every, it just affects everything. People are willing to be meaner to each other. You mm. know, we celebrate comebacks. People say things about each other that they would never have said. I mean, people, Republicans were pretty hard about Obama, but it's not like it was equivalent to like making fun of his teeth. <laughs> so, you know, like <laughs> what Trump will say about Pelosi. It's just very. It's it's much more everything. I think everything is more aggressive, mm. meaner, more toxic. I mean, this is my greatest. It's not my greatest hope. My greatest hope is we solve the pandemic and <laughs> restore our economy and mm-hmm. actually
0: leave the house, make this
1: country fairer, mm-hmm. you know, and and let more just. But like, I think there is. I do hope that you know, if the elections go in a certain way, that at least you, you will have some sense of like decency where you don't have to just viciously rip your opponents of that. You know, we could disagree mm-hmm. on policy and not make everything so personal.
0: Because do you feel like there's a shift? I mean, personally, as someone who's, like, has to watch this and report on this, it's just, like, it feels like everything is divisive. Because, you know, we've even, you know, having talks about, can we say Black Lives Matter? What does that look like? And for me, as a Black person, I'm like, yes, I do matter. And I will continue (laughs) to matter. Um, I personally would not like to get shot when I walked out of the house. But, like, how do you, you know, like, how... I guess like was there a time when you felt like there was a little bit more bipartisanship even during Obama years when I feel like we started to have more of a rift um, that we could like not politicize every single policy? Because I think even now when we're talking about, um, you know, because at the end of July, the extension on, you know, welfare benefits and and income benefits are going to expire. But now it's such a political debate about that will stop our economy from opening. I'm hearing you know I've listened to hearings and there's more Republicans know
1: oh they politicize masks I mean mm-hmm. not, what why would you politicize masks? it's so crazy to me like it's even counterproductive for them but like why mm-hmm. why do that i I mean I think I think that it, it's easy to lose sight of but you know I worked in the 90s and this Republicans were trying to impeach <laughs> Bill Clinton over having an affair. I mean, they could—they would argue it's over a lot more, but they were trying to impeach Bill Clinton. And, you know, they, we had the politics, you know, Bill Clinton described it as the politics of personal destruction. Mm-hmm. People were viciously attacking each other, but they still, like, passed the chip bill. Mm-hmm. And there were things that were actually happening mm-hmm. in a bipartisan way. I mean, we haven't had major bipartisan bills in a really long time. We've had budget bills and things like that, but like, not really. And so, and I don't know that we'll, I mean, honestly, I think my my true analysis is that the only way to get to that is that people have to see that the divisiveness is politically counterproductive. Mm -hmm. I mean, in politics, people do things that work in politics. So if division works, they're divisive. Mm -hmm. And it really will take an election to decide whether being divisive works. I mean, I I say this, and, you know, of course, I'm liberal, so I have a partisan (laughs) view, but I I think the election is really, like, we're going to exorcise our demons, like, exorcise our demons, get rid of our kind of, we're going to decide we don't want to fight with each other anymore. Mm-hmm. And go one way or we're going to say, you know, we like what this is. We like the constant battle. We like the never ending warfare and we go in a different direction and we will get the country we vote for.
0: Mm. Do you feel like there's been stuff that's sad or like policies that. Um, That really haven't changed since she worked um, more directly in politics in terms of like in the White House. But now we're just able to have them on a a higher platform because I've I've been wondering to myself, I feel like some policies that are coming out or that are pushed by either side. I'm like, haven't they been talking about this for like 30, 40 years? But now is it just because we have the Twitter and the Facebook that these policies are kind of put at the forefront or do you think a lot of these more say divisive policy stances are are new if that makes sense
1: yeah I mean I think it really well I mean look we've always had strains of xenophobia and um, racism you know I mean people can describe the de- the desire to build a wall as a immigration, like a legitimate immigration policy or mm-hmm. a policy of xenophobia, right? Like, you can look at it that way, that way. I think there have always been those policies, but I do think that a lot of these things have come to the fore. And I actually think, you know, what I'm hopeful about, just to be positive, I, I do think a majority of the country is kind of rejecting the, at, at the very least, the racial division, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do think a majority of the country is seeing policies is kind of racist and you know the, the strong support or strong upward surge of support for Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. and really as importantly big movements and support for policies that have been around like a lot of people have been talking about banning chokeholds for a long time but now there's 75% of Americans support banning chokeholds mm-hmm. and a lot of people have been talking about not you know in Ensuring that there's a- adequate resources for mental health, not that it's, it doesn't just all go to policing, and that has more support today. So I do think like things change and move, and sometimes you know maybe what's really happening in the in the country is that there's a backlash mm-hmm. to the division, and the country is going to make a choice. That's a different choice.
0: Do you feel like your position, you're uniquely uh, situated as president? of the center for American progress, like to, to be an active voice in these chains changes, or do you feel like you're kind of more behind the scenes and like pushing papers, you know, like how does your role as president fit into being more active? I
1: feel like our job, sorry, I didn't need to interrupt. I feel like our job or my job, our job is to make as much progress as we can. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we're in a moment like now, you know we're pushing really hard on police reform because you know like in this moment the country has shifted and we've been working on i mean in fairness we've been working on many of the issues over the last several years since we've had so many of these videotaped i mean these incidents have been happening for a long time yeah yeah. are videotaped you know we've we've talked about you know having special prosecutors and other policies but I, I feel like, you know, our job is to push the envelope to make mm-hmm. as much progress as we can. So it's not, it's, we do work behind the scenes. Our specialty is probably trying to get political actors to, to, um, to make change. Uh, but you know, I, from our perspective, from our perspective at CAP, the way change happens in our country is both from ideas mm-hmm. and movements. You need social change. You need mm-hmm. an idea of what you want, but then you need social change to develop it, political change and political activism, and you know, there have been multiple times where we've had sort of people angry about something, I'd say Occupy Wall Street was a good example of real energy but there wasn't Mm -hmm. a set of policy demands at the end of that Mm -hmm. and that became kind of diffuse, and then we've had, you know just ideas in Washington that never change anything, and you know, the best opportunities for change is when you marry the two. And my last question
0: <laughs> that I ask all my guests, um, and thank mm-hmm. you so much for being on, is uh, how do you define being a woman or womanhood?
1: That is a fantastic <laughs> question. Um, I define I define it honestly as, I don't know, speaking as speak, being, being who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just being comfortable in who you are. I don't know if that's even remotely the right definition, but it's being, um, it's being like caring and concerned and being unafraid.
0: I like that. Short, sweet, and to the point. I enjoy it. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining me. This was great. I had such a good time. Next
1: time we should, next time we should just do it with drinks. And just like, and do a happy hour version.
0: (laughs) Um, do you have anything that you want to promote or give a shout out to?
1: Oh, I always have to promote, uh, the Center for American Progress, which is at uh, www.americanprogress.org. Awesome. I still It'll do the www because
0: I'm very old. School. <laughs> It'll be everything will be in the show notes. Nira, thank you so much for joining us. Um, for those of you listening, so thank much you. Thanks for having me. This is, this is great. This is great. Please follow us <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter at PrettyFaceLady3. Um, if you'd like to email the show because uh, you want to say hi, want to be on the show, please email us at PrettyFaceWomen
2: at mtapfpodcast.com